I think I took them off. Okay, good. That was just. <clears throat> You know, um, we are uh, quite the Presbyterian church, and the reason why I know that is because I'm the only person that sits in the front row, and since you won't come to me, I'll come to you. (laughs) I don't like being far away from uh, the people of God when I preach, because it's hard for me to tell whether you're paying attention or not, so... uh, yeah, anyway, um, so uh, typically uh, uh, what we do, uh, I read the text, uh, or I pray before I read the text to preach on, uh, but today I want to do something a little bit different. We're going to read the text first, uh, and then, then we're going uh, gonna to pray. Um, it is the first Sunday in Advent. It's probably caught you off guard. It's first uh, of December. We went away for Thanksgiving. Usually when we come back, Everybody's decorated. No one in our neighborhood's decorated. So catch up. Time to get with the program. Uh, We are uh, fast approaching uh, uh, the season of Christmas, but right now we're in the season of Advent. And so we're going to talk a little bit uh, about that uh, that, uh, this morning. So um, Liz, go ahead and put my text up there. this is Romans 13:11 and following. It's the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Besides this, and what Paul's done there is he's giving a, an argument uh, for uh, uh, understanding, appreciating the love of God for us and, and how that should work itself out in our lives. So besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than, we, than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Um, so uh, I grew up in a tiny, tiny little Presbyterian church uh, in North Carolina. Uh, we never did anything liturgical at all. We barely recognized uh, Christmas and Easter. Um, so we were very, you know, super, um, I don't know. I, I don't know what the word is, but we, we, we you know, every, every Sunday was a holiday, supposedly, and so we didn't, we didn't practice uh, uh, the church calendar at all. And so uh, this past year, as we've done, followed the liturgical calendars, we followed the church year, there are words that you use in liturgy that I, I was not familiar with, I didn't grow up with. One is the word collect. Now, you probably see that word, and if you didn't grow up in an Episcopal or uh, uh, a liturgical church, you thought it said collect, <laughs> right? Uh, and we tend to think that means, you know, like what we did earlier in the service, the way we used to talk about when I was a kid, is we took up the collection, not the offering. We called it the collection, which is kind of funny, right, actually, that like we're paying our bills and there's a collection agency called the church. But, um, but, but the fact is a collect means the people of God collect together, come together. And it's the thing that we say, the thing that unites us. 
We all say this together. We all pray this together. And for the you know few times uh, uh, in, in our lives, we're all actually agreeing together, and we're all in one accord uh, about uh, these words and about the truth of the gospel. And so what I want us to do is use the collect for the first Sunday uh, uh, in Advent because it connects very directly to the text uh, that we've read from, from Romans uh, chapter 13. So uh, would, you, would you pray with me this morning? Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life, in which your son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Um, Having maybe you're unfamiliar with the season of Advent, maybe you're unfamiliar with with what that means. In Advent, what we are doing is we're not leaping ahead to Christmas. You know, we're not uh, uh, we're taking this month, these four Sundays, to uh, examine ourselves, to uh, as we'll see in a little bit, take a, a spiritual inventory. And why do we do that? Well, I like this collect because it reminds us of something that's true that we deny. And that is that life ends. At least this life ends. That's what it means to say mortal. That means all of us, sooner or later, will not be here anymore. Merry Christmas, right? <laughs> That's a, it's a little shocking. Uh, one of the things that I love to do when we go away is when we come back is I love to get all the mail and look at it. And so uh, in uh, the mail that came while we were gone was a uh, an envelope, a letter from Bliley's Funeral Home. And I, I saw it and I thought, well, they're trying to drum up some business. Uh, you, get, you start getting stuff like this when you turn 60 for some reason. I don't, I don't know what the deal is. But so... Uh, I opened it up, and it's a survey. How old are you? Have you ever planned a funeral? Would you like to plan one now? Um, and uh, so it kind of bummed me out a little bit when, when I got it. So uh, I just set it aside last night and filled it out this morning before I came to church. <laughs> so, um, but it was, it was, it was very uh, kind of, a, I don't know, a shocking thing to have to, to do this, to look at this and to, and, and to think about that. And I thought, well, you know, this is a way, one of the final ways maybe that I could love my, my uh, family is by taking care of this, right? Um, most of us don't prepare for things uh, that we try to deny are going to happen to us, right? One of the things that I, you know, I mentioned very often is that we're all only temporarily able-bodied, right? Um, and so Advent gives us an opportunity to look at the world, look at our lives, uh, look at the brokenness, the sin, the, the, the hard things, and look at it with a very clear-eyed understanding so that we can appreciate the glory that is in the gospel 
as Joe said, uh, that the angel said he brought tidings of great joy. You will never experience joy, true joy, unless you understand that, uh, uh, that the world is a broken place, that we are broken people, and that we are in need of redemption, right? And that's what Jesus does. Uh, without him, we're dead, literally. We're lost and we're hopeless. But because he has come, we have life, we have joy, and we have every reason to hope. So it's a good thing for us to be reminded of that and, and for us to recognize that Jesus has come once. And though it may seem like his, his coming is delayed, he will come again, right? So, so it's a, it's a good, it, this is a great season for us. It's a great opportunity for us to prepare our hearts, to, to uh, remind ourselves of the reality of the gospel, is that the gospel is good news. And uh, it's not just, uh, uh, um, uh, it, it's a message to people who are in desperate need of good news, right? So I, I came across this quote this, this week from Fleming Rutledge, and I think it's, I think it's, it's very helpful. It can be argued that Advent, more than any other season of the church year, is immediately relevant to our concrete lives as individuals. I like that word concrete. Uh, to the concrete life of the church under stress and to the concrete headlines in the newspaper. The reason for that is that Advent tells us about our lives as followers of Christ right now. Right now. Advent is where we live, work, play, laugh, struggle, and die. Advent is the time between, between the first coming of Christ and the second coming, between darkness and dawn, between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. It is not the time of fulfillment. You all know that. We all struggle with unfulfilled desires. We all struggle with uh, things not being the way we want them to be, right? It is the time of waiting. It is not the time of seeing face to face. It is the time of seeing through a glass darkly. It is not the time of triumph, but of bearing the cross, right? So what I want to talk to you about uh, this morning is that that's where we live. We actually live, uh, as Paul says in this text, uh, uh, at at the end of the night, essentially, just moments, maybe minutes uh, before the dawn, right? And as such, uh, we need to be prepared for the day to arrive. We need to be preparing ourselves for uh, the coming of the day spring, for the coming of Jesus Christ. We need to be aware uh, that uh, this, this message that we believe, this joy that we have will come to full fruition when Jesus returns, right? So the time that we are in, is that time when it is still night, but the day spring is at hand. It's almost sunrise. It's almost dawn, but not quite. Um, one of the things that I have uh, done over the last year, and I've, I've mentioned to this uh, a couple of times, is I, at, when 9 o'clock comes around at night, I'm ready to go to bed. I'm just tired, you know? And um, uh, if you go to bed at 9 o'clock, guess what? You get up at 5. <laughs> You know, you get up uh, at, at, uh, before the crack of dawn, and uh, I get up, I make my coffee, and I look outside, and I wait, wait for the sun to come up. Well, one of the things that I've noticed is it really is darkest right before the sun comes up. It really is true. Those of you who uh, the sun's up when you wake up, 
I can tell you, I can testify to that, that it actually is dark right before uh, the sun comes up. But the other thing that's really interesting is I like to look at the thermometer because I can tell the sun is about to come up because right before it comes up, the temperature drops just a little bit. Weird. At least it does at my house. So um, it's very it, it's very unusual. It's almost like the darkness is getting its last little gasp, last little bit of, you know, of... Uh, darkness, coldness, that sort of stuff before the sun comes up and expels all that and, 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 and does away with it once and for all. Um, that's where we live. Paul wants you to look at your life today and to understand that we are in an in-between time. That though Jesus has come and he has died and he has risen again, we still live in a period of struggle. And that the struggle that we are experiencing is a struggle against the darkness, right? Uh, next slide, please, uh, Liz. So what he wants us to do is to live in the light, right? We do this, as he says in this text, by putting on the armor of light. Now, why armor? Why, why doesn't he just say, well, just put something on or just put your coat on or put your tunic on or something like that? Why do we need armor? Because we need armor to be protected. We need armor so uh, because we are actually in a struggle. Now, maybe you don't like the, that kind of terminology that we're in a struggle, that we're in a battle, that we're in a war. But the truth is the way the, way the gospel understands our lives and the, understands the way in which the world functions is, is that we are in a struggle and that we need in that struggle, we need weapons, but we also need to be protected. Um, we need armor. Uh, and this armor is not just a thing. He goes on to say, not only do we put on the armor of light, but he says also in the text that we put on Jesus Christ. You probably don't wear armor very often, probably never worn it. Um, when uh, we were in North Carolina uh, visiting uh, uh, family, I was riding around on Wednesday with my brother-in-law, Curtis. And uh, everybody in Avery County, North Carolina, knows Curtis. Everywhere we went, Kurt, how you doing? Good to see you. Everybody knows it. Now, they also didn't know me. I'm an outsider. And so they, everybody looks at me like, who are you? Why are you here? Even though I had on my camo vest and I had on a blaze orange cap and I used terrible grammar and uh, <laughs> uh, I love these people. These are my people. You know, this is this is where I come from. But they 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 take me as a as an outsider. But everywhere we went, everybody knows it. So we're driving down the road, and there's a uh, state patrolman parked on the side of the road, uh, clocking people as we go by. And of course, Curtis knows it. See that feller right there? Yeah, I'm like, yeah. You know what his name is? What? Daniel Boone. His daddy was Big John Boone. And his daddy was Big Fred Boone. And so he proceeds to tell me everything about Daniel Boone and who he is and what a terrible person he is and uh, what a terrible policeman he is and that he better slow down because if he goes one mile over the speed limit, Daniel Boone will write him a ticket. And I said, well, I'd like for you to get a ticket because I'd like to have Daniel Boone's autograph. (laughs) He didn't think that that was very funny. Sure enough, when we came back, Daniel Boone had somebody pulled over on the side of the road. Now, uh, when we were, I don't know what the weather was like here, but in the mountains in North Carolina, it was 
30 degrees, and the wind was blowing at sometimes 65 miles an hour. It's cold. Well, Daniel Boone is outside the car writing a ticket without his coat on. Why? Because he's got body armor. And you could see it. I mean, he was a big guy anyway, but the, the armor made him look that much bigger and it, it was protecting him. Not only was it protecting him against people shooting him or hitting him or whatever, but it was protecting him against the wind. I'm sure that sitting in his car, I'm sure he got hot, right? So, so the fact is, this is something that God sees that we need. He understands that we're in a struggle. He understands that, uh, that the world, that uh, our flesh, our temptations, that, that these things war against us. Now, the fact is, for many of us, you know, this struggle is something that we're very aware of, something that we, we live with every single day. But for many of us, for many of us, we quit struggling. We have just kind of given in, right? The armor is not a thing, but it's a person. And what he wants us to do is in this struggle is to recognize, first of all, that we're in a struggle. And as we recognize that struggle and understand that if left to our own devices, we're going to lose the struggle that we must put on Jesus Christ. What does it mean to put on Jesus Christ? It means to trust him. It means to take him at his word. It means to entrust your life, to entrust your struggle, to entrust your sin, your brokenness, to entrust the sin and the brokenness of the world around us into his hands, right? That we know that we can't, uh, that, that self-improvement and that working on ourselves and, that, and changing ourselves is something that we will always fail at. But with Christ, by putting him on, we begin to change, to look more and more like him, right? So how do we do that? Well, one of the things that he says here is, is that as we wait, he wants us to live and to walk properly by taking him on, by putting him on. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, uh, next slide, please, Liz. The, the way we do it is by waking up. Not a funny way to talk about it, right? The, the sun's about to come up. Jesus is about to arrive. And what do you need to do? You need to wake up. You need to wake up. You probably didn't know you were asleep, right? Now, what we need to do and, and what, what he means there by waking up is that we shake off our slothfulness. I love that word, slothfulness. That's like vicissitudes, right? Uh, when you hear the word slothfulness, you probably think lazy, right? That uh, you, you, you just don't do very much. That you're, But really, in the Bible, slothfulness means that you are uh, just kind of going through the motions, that you are not really uh, uh, aware, even alive in a sense. You're not struggling anymore. You've made your peace with the brokenness in your life, and you've made peace with the brokenness in the world. And so we're like sloths. You know, have you ever seen a sloth? Um, when we were, uh, we were out shopping, uh, like uh, every crazy person in Richmond uh, uh, this week, and Marty, we like calendars, and she showed me a calendar that was uh, a yoga sloth. And each month, the sloth is doing a yoga pose, <laughs> right? Now, that's an oxymoron, right? Those are two things that, that, that don't go together. Well, for many of us, our lives are, are like that. We're just kind of going through the motions. 
Do we have joy? Not really. Do we have struggle? Not really. We're just kind of going along. Jesus says to wake up, to open your eyes, to uh, engage uh, with, the, with him through his spirit by taking him at his word and by following him. Now, now one of the things, one of the things that, that happens to us in this congregation and one of the besetting sins that we have is that we get the gospel, we get the love of God for us, we, we understand that, we understand the mercy of God, and we love that. And it's true, and it's real. But one of the things that happens to us is, and one of the distortions of that is, is that we can take the grace of God, we can live in light of the grace of God, as if the grace of God doesn't change us. We can, we can live and appreciate the love of God for us without understanding that the purpose of Jesus coming, the purpose of his living, dying, and rising again was not just to scoop us up and get us to heaven, but to change us, to renew us, to, to turn us into people who look more and more like him, right? And so what Paul is saying here is, listen, the, the, the time is at hand for us to wake up and to take this work that Christ has done for us seriously so that it sinks down into the very fibers of our lives and it changes the way we live. It changes the way we love. It changes the way we work and live, right? And he wants us to do that by shaking off our slothfulness and also by making no provision for the flesh. Uh, The famous Puritan John Owen said, you know, be killing sin or sin be killing you, right? When you make no provision for something, you're killing it. You're not allowing yourself to indulge in it. You're not allowing yourself to taste it, to, to drink of it, to, to put yourself into it. And so what he's saying here is, you know, because Christ has come, because the time is at hand, wake up and by, and wake, and the way you wake up is by not allowing yourself, not, don't give, don't allow yourself to fall prey to temptation. Now, how can that be? Because we're, uh, we're, we live in a world full of temptation. Well, what he wants you to do is to be aware of it, to avoid it, to stay away from it. Because, and that's one of the ways that, that the love of God, that's one of the ways the, the work of God in us manifests itself, right? God loves us so much. Jesus died for us. And, and part of what that love does for us is, is it motivates us to avoid these things that would ultimately make the gospel seem like a lie, right? And so we have to recognize that, is, that the purpose of Jesus coming back, of him returning, is that he hates the works of darkness that's in us and around us and that he'll root it out once and for all. He will not permit the works of darkness to endure in the world or in us. Now, that's hard medicine, isn't it? That's, uh, and, and to think, you know, on the first Sunday of Advent as we're preparing for the most wonderful time of the year, you know, when you get to watch Hallmark Christmas movies 24 hours a day, 25 days between now and Christmas, to think, you know, my life will end someday and I will be judged. You will be judged. That's a shocking thing to think about, isn't it? That part of what we look forward to and part of, of recognizing the fact that, that when Jesus returns, he will eradicate 
sin. He will eradicate brokenness. He will eradicate disease. He will eradicate all of these things that are the result of, the, of our fallen and broken world. But part of the way he does that is he judges. Now, the great news for us is to be aware of that, not to be afraid of it, because the reality is what we recognize is, yes, we, we, we will be judged, but if we're in Christ today, we will not be condemned, even though, even though we sin, even though we are sinners, and even though we flirt and live often with the darkness, the reality is Jesus came and was condemned for us. He was judged, and he was found guilty because of our guilt, right? And so our hope, our joy, and the thing that wakes us up and makes us aware today of the, of, of the reality of this mortal life, the reality of this brokenness, the reality of the fact that Jesus is about to come back, these things wake us up. We come to grips with the fact that it is his grace, that it is his mercy, that it is his love, and it is the fact that he stood condemned for us is the thing that motivates us, that changes us, that makes us alive, makes us awake, and makes us be careful, aware of our flesh, and that we would make no provision for that. Um, one of the things uh, that is uh, true uh, of getting older is you can't eat like you used to. Uh, and, and that makes Thanksgiving really difficult. Um, I have high blood pressure, and uh, as if you couldn't tell. Um, and one of the things that you can't do when you have high blood pressure is you can't eat much salt. And, of course, you know, salt makes food taste good. Did you know that? That, that not only does it preserve it, but it makes it, 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 makes it taste good. Well, uh, I can't make provision for myself by eating salt because when I do, I swell up. That's how I know I've got too much sodium. I can feel my wedding band squeezing my finger because I'm retaining fluid. Who knew, right? It's hard. It's a challenge. But life, for me now, means i got to avoid salt. Life for us as followers of Christ, because of his grace, because of his love, because of his mercy, means we avoid the darkness and we avoid the works of the flesh, right? Hear these words of institution. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you, as my father signed to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Uh, Let's confess our sins together by uh, praying the prayer that's uh, in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Your warfare is ended, your sins are pardoned, the penalty for your rebellion is paid. As I read to you on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. As we come to the table today, something. Uh, should startle you, and that is that God says, because Jesus Christ has come, because he has lived, because he has died, because he has risen again, your sins are pardoned. The penalty for your rebellion is paid. That's stunning. (laughs) But it doesn't stun you because we grow cold, we grow overly familiar with it. And so what I I urge you to do this Advent uh, is in light of what I put at the beginning of the bulletin, and I want to read this to you in my pastor's note. It's a quote from Fleming Rutledge, and I think it's it's, it's, a very, it's, a, it's a great thing for us to think about. The significance of the birth of Jesus Christ will forever elude us if we are un- unable to take an inventory, an inventory, to count, to look, to take an account of, of the gravity of the human condition. Advent is designed to help us acknowledge the pervasive presence of the power of sin and death. Christmas is not some kind of triumph of the human spirit. It is an invasion of the irresistible grace of God, which is never predictable, never deserved, and always arrives unexpected. Take an inventory. Take an honest look at yourself. Ask the Spirit of God to probe your heart, to probe your mind, and to probe your life so that when you see and you experience and you understand the darkness that's around you and that's in you, that the joy that we speak of in the Christmas season will be real for you because it's not just something that you get with a credit card. It is something that you get by Jesus Christ paying your debt, paying your bill, paying for your rebellion, 
forgiving your sin with his own precious blood. That's the source of joy. That joy will be far from us if we don't understand and we don't come to grips with the fact that we're broken and hopeless without him. But thanks be to God, Jesus came. He lived, he died, he rose again, and he is coming again to take us to be with him forever and ever. If that's your hope, you profess that to a body of believers somewhere, he invites you today to taste and see how good and joyful it is to be able to say your sin is pardoned, your penalty is paid. That's the source of real unbroken joy. As uh, the elders and deacons come down front uh, to assist me this morning, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, uh, the inner rings are grape juice, and all the bread uh, is bread that is gluten-free.